Welcome to The Family Room, sponsored by Versprite, where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families, centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, here on AM 1160 The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Family Room. I'm John Gordon. I'm here with co-hosts Mari Cleveland and Craig Wiesmeyer. Good morning. Good morning, John. This morning, we are going to take some time to talk to Dr. Bill Thierfelder. Dr. Thierfelder is the president of Belmont Abbey College. Belmont Abbey is a Benedictine liberal arts college founded in 1876, and it's about 10 miles from my old stomping ground, Charlotte, North Carolina. Belmont Abbey is ranked number four in the South by U.S. News and World Report for best undergraduate teaching. Dr. Thierfelder is in his 18th year as president of Belmont Abbey College, and prior to that, he successfully led several sports medicine programs, law and sports business corporations, and he's a licensed psychologist and has received his master's and doctoral degrees in sports psychology and human movement from Boston University. He's a former track and field national champion and a record holder two-time All-American from the University of Maryland, and an NCAA Division I coach. He's an inductee in the Sports Faith International Hall of Fame that includes world-class athletes, coaches, and team owners such as George Papa Bear Hallis, one of my favorites as a Chicagoan, Vince Lombardi, Brian Piccolo, another Chicago Bear. I would argue that Dr. Thierfelder is in very good company there. He's the, he's the author of Less Than a Minute to Go, one of Barbara's favorite books, and The Secret to World-Class Performance in Sports, Business, and Everyday Life. And that forward was actually written by Coach Mike Krzyzewski, so another great sports Catholic. Dr. Thierfelder, thanks for being with us this morning. And, and if you're good with it, we're just going to say Dr. Bill, because you can see I've, I've been gifted with a special sort of stutter here. So, uh, <laughs> Well, John, John, thanks so much for having me on the show. And you can imagine what first grade was like for me. I don't know if you remember those little bubble things you had to fill out, you know. That's right. I had an anxiety attack just trying to fill out my name. <laughs> Everybody else was done. I saw them halfway through. Uh, we're grateful for that. We're going to say, Dr. Dr. Bill, and, and Dr. Bill, actually, before we get kicked off here, one of our traditions in the family room is just to start our, our shows with a prayer. So, Mari, would you take us into things with a prayer, please? Sure, I would be glad to. So, Dr. Bill, we are glad to have you with us and glad to have you start with praying with us, too. So, as we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, this morning we praise you as we always do. You are our Abba Father. You are the one who is our all in all, and we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for the family room. We thank you for all of our listeners out there. And we thank you especially this morning for Dr. Bill for his many years of experience and um, all of the, the wisdom that he has that he's going to share with us this morning. We just ask you to bless our conversations and, and bless our bless all of our words and our thoughts this morning um, as we continue to provide hope and wisdom to all of the families and all of the marriages out there. Um, and it's in your son's precious and holy name that we pray. And we also ask St. Pope John Paul II, pray for us. In the name Amen. of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dr. Bill, before we get into like the, the heavy-duty things, I would love it if you would share how you actually became president of Belmont Abbey College. I remember the first time I heard that story, and I was like, you, you, we spoke earlier, we're going with the Holy Spirit. 
Tell us that story. I think it's great. Sure. I, uh, I'll just premise it by saying that, you know, I am nothing. I know nothing. I have nothing. And some people say, well, is that low self-esteem? And I said, no, just in reality, if I'm standing next to God, I'm not bragging about anything, right? So <laughs> I, I just, I'll share the story with you, but it's one of those ones where my whole entire life, you could not follow it. I, I mean, God keeps putting me in places that on paper I have no business being, but somehow he puts me there. So I was president of a company up in Pennsylvania uh, with my wife, and at the time we had eight children. We now have 10, uh, but we had eight at the time, and we were living in Hershey, Pennsylvania. We had a great life, uh, great parish. Uh, we loved where we lived. We had great friendships. You know, it, it just it was all just wonderful. I'm, I'm president of a company. I mean, we have a, yeah, what more could you say, right? Well, I'm reading the National Catholic Register, and on the left-hand side of the, the paper, I'm reading this article. And out of the corner of my eye, I caught the word Benedictine. And I've always had an affinity for St. Benedict. I won't go into that right now, but I've always had an affinity for St. Benedict. So I looked over to see what it was. And as I looked over, I saw it was part of an ad for the president of Belmont Abbey College. And I have to tell you, I never heard of Belmont Abbey College before. So I don't know why I didn't go back to reading the article. But uh, for some reason, I kept reading the ad. And at the end of the ad, I did something I never did before. I cut it out. Got home that night. My wife Mary, uh, you know, greeted me as I came home, and we started. We had dinner. We were talking, and I pulled out this piece of paper. And I said, you know, what do you think about this? You know, and I'm sure she's looking at me thinking, what are you thinking about this? But <laughs> I, I, we just talked about it literally, like 15 minutes at most, right? That was that was it, and that was literally it. There was not one more thought. There was nothing more to be done. But the next five days, I come across that piece of paper every day. It is either in my folder or in my jacket. I don't know, you know, almost how or why it's there. But on the fifth day, I'm at work. It's about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It's a Tuesday. I feel compelled to call up the phone number on it. And there's no name on it. There's just this phone number. So I call up the phone number, and this guy answers the phone. The first thing I say to him is I say, look, you might think I'm crazy. I'm not looking for a job, but could you tell me more about this? <laughs> well, after 45 minutes, the guy says to me, I think you're the person for the job. Now, I have to tell you, I'm from the Bronx, New York. Uh, cons and hustles happen really fast. I figured I was going to be giving this guy a credit card in about five minutes. You know, like, you should be a college president. Yeah? And uh, I was really taken aback because this guy never met me before, and he's saying I should be the president of the college. And I said to him, well, you know, what, what are you thinking here? And he said, well, look, we, we've interviewed 50 people for this job. We've selected five. I'm about to present them to the board of trustees. But I really think you're the person I need to meet you right away. It is now 3 o'clock, the hour of mercy, on uh -huh. Tuesday. And I said, well, when's right away? And he said, I need to meet you this Friday morning. I said, I can't. I have a meeting with Dick Sporting Goods in Pittsburgh on Friday morning. I can't do it. He says, I'm flying through Pittsburgh on Friday morning. Oh, <laughs> I said, okay, God, I'll go meet him at the airport, right? So I get there like 6 o'clock in the morning before my meeting. And for two hours, this guy is grilling me. He is asking me about my scholarly background. Now, to put this in perspective, when I went to the University of Maryland, they told me my major was eligibility. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you can imagine, I kept telling them I don't have a scholarly background. I, I am not a professor. I've never done anything in higher ed other than graduate school, do a little teaching. Uh, that's about it, right? So, but he keeps going for the two hours, and he doesn't let up on this. He doesn't have test scores. Everything. I said, I said you got the wrong guy, right? At the end of two hours... He catches me completely off guard. He goes, I'm now confirmed. You're the person for the job. Are you still interested? <laughs> I heard myself say yes, and I remember leaving the airport thinking, I just told this guy I'm interested in being the president of Dominati College. I've never seen it before, 
and they had a website that only had a two by two of the basilica on it that you couldn't even go in and look at. <laughs> but I've always trusted in divine providence, so I put it in God's hands. I went to my meeting, and to be honest with you, almost forgot about it because it was about six or eight weeks later. He calls me up and says, "Will you and your wife come down for an interview?" I said yes. And my wife and I, when we drove up for the first time, uh, I don't know whether we were expecting swampland or something, but it was beautiful. And it was this, you know, beautiful brick Gothic, you know, basilica and buildings. And I, I don't know, we both kind of took a breath. We we're like, oh, I mean, we, we were just, we, we, we seemed to, uh, I guess, love it right away. And so before we met anybody, we pulled in front of the basilica and, uh, we went in and nobody was there, nobody saw us, nobody even knew we were there yet. And we went to the front pew and we kneeled down and we prayed a rosary because I was praying for discernment. I was thinking, is this just crazy or are we supposed to be here? And at the top of the altar in the basilica is a statue of Mary Help of Christians holding the Christ child. She is alive to me. I, and I mean that really. I'm going to share something with you. I mean, I was on radio. I probably shouldn't even this on radio, but I will, because it just came to me to say it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit leads here, Dr. Bill. It's good. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to think of me, and I don't think anything of this personally, in a sense. I, I know you're wondering, what is he going to say? When I look up at the Blessed Mother, I see her mouth moving. She is speaking. Mm. I can't hear her, but I see her mouth always moving whenever I look up at her. After probably, this is now, I'll finish my story in a second, but, you know, after probably a month, month, year of, of seeing this, one day it came into my mind, I didn't say it out loud, was the question came into my head that I asked her, I said, what are you saying? And what immediately came to me, and I'm, this is not some you know, voices I'm hearing, but just what immediately came to me is, I am whispering all the intentions of the world into his ear. Mm. So when I say when we first got there that Mary Helpful Christian is alive, I mean, she was alive to me. And to my wife, Mary, because I will just tell you right now, if Mary didn't have the same sense of we were called to be here, I wouldn't be here. Right. Uh, we are one. I'm not doing anything she doesn't feel very strongly that we should be doing. Uh, we decide these kind of things together. So, uh, so we had such a sense of peace praying there. And then we went to meetings with board of trustees, and we met faculty and students and so forth. And long story short, a week later, I came back to accept the job and uh, Abbot Placid is driving me back to the airport, and as he's driving, I said to him, by the way, how many people apply from the National Catholic Register at? He doesn't say anything to me. He holds up just one finger. Uh, <laughs> I was the only one that applied from that end. So, so I am here now in my 18th year, um, and the, the call is exponentially stronger today than it was the day I arrived. And I know that I'm supposed to be here until... God closes the door, meaning the board of trustees says, hey, Bill, thanks so much. It's been great, but, you know, time for you to go. Wow. That's a great story. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you very much. Yeah, that is amazing. And it is always so wonderful to listen to hear how people heard the Holy Spirit, were pushed by the Holy Spirit. I think when you opened your mouth at the airport and said yes, it was basically the Holy Spirit, right? Just saying that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. All right. Because, again, how I would become a college president God has a good sense of humor. Yeah, and obviously he knew what he was doing since it's been 18 years, yes. and you're still there, yes. and, and Belmont Abbey College is thriving. So, so many is, good things, yeah. That is wonderful. So in addition to Belmont Abbey thriving, it sounds like your family has been thriving as well. You are the um, parent of 10 children. Our listeners 
Obviously, our listeners want to hear um, about your experience in being president, but they also have the other reason we have the show is to offer hope and wisdom and encouragement to marriages and families. So we would love to hear a little bit more about that side of your life as well. So um, with your wife, Mary, as you said, you have 10 children. Can you tell us some things that you guys have done? Obviously, you've let your own life be led by the Holy Spirit and and the power of um, intercessions of Mary and things like that. But what's it been like for you all to raise 10 children in the Catholic faith as well? Well, you know, you don't start off saying you're going to have 10 children. At least we didn't. I often say it's not a contest, uh, you know, so it's, you know, and you get all the comments, by the way, when you have 10 children, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, which I won't even bring up, but, you know, they're, they're, they're we, we've yeah. heard them, so we yeah. get it. Yeah. yeah. So, so I start off with this. And by the way, I'm a psychologist. I Maybe you mentioned that, but I, I only say that to you because I've done marriage counseling in, the, in my past life. One thing that I, I think sometimes is not clear is that you are not going to have a good marriage if you don't come first and foremost to your relationship with God. And in our case, we believe Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, actually really God. If you do not have that sense, and I'm not saying you have to be some theologian or you have to be a saint uh, necessarily, although we're all called to it, but just the fact that you you acknowledge that God exists, uh, I'm not, I am not he, <laughs> and I am called to do something with my life that he's, he's given me. He's put me here for a purpose and a reason. If two people come together in marriage and that's their first, that's the premise, you're going to probably have a really good marriage to start with. And then the understanding of marriage is that literally the two do become one. It is not a business partnership. It is not a 50-50 relationship. It is a 100-100 relationship, meaning I give all to Mary, my wife. I don't ask for anything in return. I'm, I'm not giving her my hundred because I'm looking for anything in return. I made this decision. That's why it's really unfortunate that some people could actually believe that somehow uh, they're in marriage and they'll say, oh, I couldn't help it. I fell in love with someone else. It's like, what? <laughs> of course you could help it. In other words, you could love a million people. What you're saying in marriage is that I'm choosing to love you and I'm only going to love you. And I'm making that conscious decision. I'm making that commitment. I'm placing my will behind that to say, come good, come bad, come whatever it may be. I am promising you that I will love you always with all that I have. Now, if you find somebody else that wants that same thing for you, wow. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have a, a marriage made in heaven and I will tell you, I have that marriage. I mean, I am so blessed. My wife is a saint, uh, literally. I will pray for her cause someday if she goes before <laughs> me. Um, she is a remarkable woman um, of such, I mean, profound, deep faith. Uh, just This is why men and women are the, the complementarity. Uh, in other words, you know, you're not sufficient by yourself in this case. I mean, this is, this is where it's exponentially more when the two become one. I have been so helped. Uh, I've been, I am so much better because Mary loves me and has been in my life. And so from a marriage standpoint, I, I just, I start there. And that's perfect. You know, I love the fact that we've heard from several people on our show that if you're talking about raising children, you got to first talk about the marriage. Yeah. You first talk about your relationship with Christ and then the marriage relationship that is so fundamental and foundational. 
If you're just tuning in, you're listening to AM 1160, The Quest. We're here with Dr. Bill Thierfelder, who is the president of Belmont Abbey, and um, we're getting some insights into his experience, and also now he's telling us more about his family and his uh, family life as well. You know, it's interesting. Number one, you have a beautiful spirituality, and I know it didn't start at Belmont Abbey, given some of the things I've heard, so praise God for what he's done in your life. Raising 10 children, I know you made a comment that um, you know, God gives us children so that we don't focus on ourselves. So be- beautiful comment. And I only have two, so I can only imagine what it's like with 10. <laughs> Craig, what the 10 tells you is how desperately I needed to be less of me. Uh, you know, I-, I couldn't get it in two, right? So after 10, you know, it starts to seep in a little bit. You know? And I understand you're getting grandchildren now too, if I heard correctly. So extra blessings. But I have to say, you know, I've got a an 18-year-old here um, in school looking at college colleges right now. My daughter went through the process a few years ago. And I have to tell you, it's very difficult when we think about sending our kids off to colleges, even more so today than it was when my daughter went in 2017, because the secularization of all these universities and all the stuff they're buying into. I don't want to be offensive in my next comment to anybody out there, but I got to tell you, there's a lot of Catholic universities that are not fulfilling their duty, that are falling so far short. Belmont Abbey is not one of them, so God bless you. The question, though, to you is, how do we as parents raise our kids in this society? How are these universities, how is Belmont Abbey helping these kids keep their faith? Because, what do they say, 16% of kids that are raised Catholic remain Catholic after they go to college. That's a terrible number, but there's hope in in places like Belmont Abbey and with people like yourself. So if you can't break it down, what what are you and Steubenville and Ave Maria, what are you guys doing to keep these kids in their faith? Well, I mean, you you alluded to it, so I'll start kind of first, first things first, right? And that is we go back to the marriage and we go back to the children. And uh, there's not some cookie cutter thing about raising children, right? I mean, it's, your children are going to watch you and your wife, you know, or husband and, and wife. You know, they're, they're, they're watching you. I mean, just they can't help it. <laughs> they're with you. They, they see everything about you, whether you like it or not. I mean, they just, they're going to copy you. They're going to be just like you, whether, you, again, you like it or not. Um, obviously, they're their own individuals. they got their own personalities and so forth. But your influence on them uh, is everything. So, you know, it, it starts there. So it, it would be unrealistic for somebody to have an expectation that all through their life, through their 18 years, there is no faith, there, there is no love, there is no understanding. And now suddenly you're going to get to a Catholic college and, and all is going to be different. Now, you know, the Holy Spirit does knock people off horses, so it just can't happen. Uh, uh, and God's been good to me. Uh, but, you know, it... it it starts with family, and I mean, it starts with the way that you just love each other. And, you know, the two most motivating things to any human being are love and truth. Mm-hmm. So when we get all worried about the world today and we say, look, we're being attacked and there's all of these terrible things happening, the thing that's on our side is that regardless of who you are, no matter what side that person seems to be on, that person wants the same thing you want, whether they know it or not. They want love and they want to know what's true. Now, we don't always go about it the right way when we have you know, our own faults and frailties and we veil our conscience and we do a whole bunch of stuff that, that keeps us from getting to that love and truth sometimes. But the good news is that's what everybody wants in the end. So I know, and by the way, I know how the story ends. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, 
So I know where we're all going, and I know how it all ends. And I just, the in-between part's the only part we're not clear about, right, for each of us. We don't know what size that cross might be. We don't know exactly how rough the wood is, how much it weighs, but it's going to be there. Uh, and the question is, what do you do with that? Like, how, how do you deal with sacrifice in your life? And so this is, this is part of your upbringing. This is part of the relationship that you have with each other. I mean, my children love each other. Mm. You know, sometimes, and I know it's not always. I, I, I know some families have very adversarial relationships with children and so forth. We don't. I mean, my children love each other. They are so happy when somebody else does something. You know, I mean, when they were little, you know, someone could have made a great catch out in the yard. And the first thing in the house isn't that, you know, whoever it was making the catch telling me what a great catch. It's the other ones coming in and said, you should have seen the catch that Luke made today, man. It was just awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just this. But I, I will tell you, I think what that came from is just their sense of how much Mary and I love each other and how much we love them. And they want to do the same. They want to do the same for us and they want to do the same for each other. So now you come to college Um, and you're right. Uh, College is an interesting time because you are truly moving on to independence. I mean, you are now kind of leaving your home um, and hopefully you're learning what it means to be an adult and your formation and your faith is hopefully going to deepen. Uh, and hopefully the seeds are, are planted here that will be with you for the rest of your life. Um, you don't do that by lecturing people. Mm, you, right. you do that by loving people. And love is an act. I mean, we can use a word to describe what it is, but it's when you welcome each person here as Jesus Christ in persona Christi. And just through your actions and how you treat people and how you love them, that's how you reach people. That's how you change hearts and minds and souls. So, Dr. Bill, that I was going to ask a question, and, and I really think you just answered it. So I'm just going to say something and let you respond to that, because uh, I, I get, I mean, you talk about the family. It starts in the family. My biggest concern or a big concern that I've had is there's families who, who want to raise children and do a good job, and they're, and they're steeped in their faith. Then off these kids go into the public school system for any of a number of very valid reasons. Um, it sounds to me, my, so my question was going to be like, how do you guard against that and how do you protect them and what's the armor you put on them before you send them off into the secular world? It sounds to me like you just answered that. You just build this foundation and this engagement at home and and the rest I can't say the rest just happens because they're going to be exposed to things, but it almost like it's a, you set up a very clear line between what is normal and you're healthy in your family and what they're going to encounter in school. Maybe comment on that a little bit. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, to your point, you, you can't shield people from the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, matter of fact, we're not even called to do that, right? I mean, we're called to be lights of the world, so we're, we're supposed to go out. Now, as a parent, you have children, you can say, well, look, my, my child isn't formed yet completely, right? So I'm a little concerned about them going out. I'll start with this. I mean, we have the deepest discussions about everything in our house. Uh, I mean, we go deep and we talk about real stuff. Um, I'll also tell you, just as maybe the, the psychologist in me in some ways, if you're ever saying something and you see a reaction on a face that doesn't match what you're saying, don't keep going. Mm. Stop uh, right there uh, and just say, mm, I must not have said that. I must, I must have said that, you know, the wrong way. Or I, I must have, 
what did you get out of what I just said? Because there's no point in going on in that moment. That person's already registered something mm -hmm. that is in either disagreement or whatever, some emotion. Better to deal with it right that moment when it's there, then it's gone. Now we can kind of move on. But we have very deep discussion. I mean, everything you could think about. I mean, all sexual, transgender, you know, homosexuality, how does it all fit? What does it mean? How should we treat people? Um, you know, what is the world about? Why is the world going the way it's going? I mean, what is Marxism? What is socialism? What are, you know, what are all these things and how do they affect the person, the human person? And by the way, we start off on a premise. We are body, mind, and soul. At this nanosecond, we are body, mind, and soul. We're, we're, we're not these separate things. And sometimes as human beings, we break things into boxes. We say, well, over here, we're going to do some praying, and over here, we'll do some physical exercise, and over here, we'll do some mental kind of intellectual work. That's not true. Matter of fact, I, I will say to you that my experience has been, if you don't recognize those three things in every moment that you're with someone, you are missing something of great significance. Uh, if you leave out a soul in public school, think of, think of the craziness of that. Mm -hmm. The soul, which is the lasting part of you, which is the eternal part of you, right. we're not even going to address as if it doesn't exist. If it, either it exists or it doesn't exist. There's no in-between. Now, you can say to me, I don't believe in God. Okay, then you know, we can have that discussion. But the point is, if God exists, actually, truly, really exists, it doesn't really matter what you think. It doesn't matter whether you believe or don't believe. That doesn't change God existing if he truly does exist. Mm -hmm. It sounds so very simple as you say that. It's, I guess it it's is. not complex. It's, it's hard, not it's complex. Hard to do. It's hard. It's really simple. It's hard to do. Yeah. It, it sounds, yeah. Craig, once again, work in, work in the faith place, right? It's, it's very yeah. simple. It's not hard. Just, yeah. well, it's, just it's interesting because we've had a lot of these discussions, and it's like, what do you do with all of the various discussions that are going on out there? And I think you hit it the nail on the head. Love like Christ did. It's about as simple as it gets. Love like Christ did. And, you know, if you read about the North American martyrs, one of the comments was, we love these Indians like they're our brothers. Was it, let's look at the difference, we're going to convert them, we're going to tell them all these things. It was like, we're going to love them like Christ loves them. Right. It's simple. Yeah. It, it is. And, uh, you know, there's been there are many issues regarding, uh, you know, racism and, uh, you know, all kinds of social, you know, troubles that our society is trying to wrestle with and deal with. And... Um, what I've said here is that let's face any discussion we have on three premises. Uh, the first one is that we are made in the image and likeness of God, and therefore we're deserving of human dignity. So if, if that's not true, then tell me why racism is wrong. If it's not based on the fact we are made by God, and that is why we're deserving of human dignity, because mm -hmm. otherwise you're just down to power, raw power, and whoever has it can just decide whatever is going to be, quote, true. Um, so that's the first. The second is that we seek objective truth. And upon finding it, we live in response to it. And the third is that we're called to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as Christ loved us. Let's start from those three, because we don't need a whole new lexicon. We don't need new words. Uh, sin has been around for as long as man has been alive, right? So, so we, we already know what these things are, and we already know how to deal with them. We don't need to, and by the way, the reason there is a new lexicon, and the reason all these new words are coming about in phrases, is because it's, there's a denial that God exists. Mm -hmm. And if God doesn't exist, we gotta come up with a whole bunch of new oh, words to describe right. it. Yeah. 100%, yep. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Perfect. We're gonna take a little break, and then we'll be back with Dr. Bill Thierfelder, the president of Belmont Abbey College. We'll be right back in the family room, sponsored by Versprite, right after this. 
In today's world, cybersecurity is critical for your business. Award-winning Versprite provides solutions to protect your company from hackers. For protection now, see Versprite.com. That's V-E-R-Sprite.com. The Quest thanks Versprite for their support. This is Father Michael Silloway from Christ Our King and Savior Catholic Church in Greensboro, Georgia. And the Sushi Pay prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola is one of my favorites. Please join me in praying it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace, and that will be enough for me. Amen. The Quest presents Pro-Life Minutes. Life is precious as it was given to us as a gift from God. He has a plan for every created life, even those conceived in the violent crime of rape. Legislation that protects every life is required because God's gift is to be respected, cherished, and protected. No value is given to the baby's life when abortion is allowed in cases of rape. Pro-life advocate Rebecca Kiesling was conceived in rape and had this to say, I am my mother's child. I honor her and bring her healing. Today, we are both thankful we were protected from the horror of abortion. Every life, no matter how it was created, is a human being worthy of life and deserves protection. Stand behind legislation with no exceptions. Let's show the world that every life matters by speaking up for life at every opportunity. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. This is Dr. David Anders, host of Call to Communion. You know, Catholic Radio made a huge difference in my journey to the Catholic Church. I had pretty much read everything I could read and answered all the questions for myself I could answer, but I needed some real life breathing Catholics to talk to, you know, and I stumbled across Catholic Radio in my car and found people who'd walked the journey before me. I started calling them up and asking them questions, and they were there for me when I needed them, and they kind of helped me across some of those last hurdles between me and full inclusion in the Catholic Church. There are cities that have very few Catholics. There are some that have all kinds of Catholics. And yet, still, the guy next door to you, you can't assume he knows anybody who's Catholic. Catholic Radio, for a lot of people, is literally the only Catholics they know. I believe your support of your Catholic radio station can make an eternal difference in the life of an individual, a family, and in society. So support Catholic Radio. To donate, log on to thequestatlanta.com. Hi, I'm John Crisani, and I belong to St. Peter Chanel Catholic Church in Roswell. And you're listening to AM 1160 The Quest, your Atlantic Catholic radio. Welcome back to The Family Room with Mari, John, and Craig, sponsored by Verse Sprite on AM 1160 The Quest. Welcome back, listeners, to The Family Room. We are so glad you're joining us, and we are here with Dr. Bill Thierfelder, who is the president of Belmont Abbey College. And um, as regular listeners to the show know, we always ask our guests a question, since this is called The Family Room. Um, what, Dr. Bill, is one of your favorite memories in your family room? Well, I'm going to put a real spin on this and a twist for you. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and, and the twist on this is family room itself. You would think that with, you know, 10 children, 12 people, the apostles, right, uh, 12 <laughs> people, that you would need a, a, a compound of some kind, you know, for that many people. Well, this, is, this has always been an amazing phenomenon to me. So when you talk about the family room, whatever room, 
we go into. Like, Mary and I could walk into a room. Within five or ten minutes, all ten children will be in that room. <laughs> so our family room is movable. Uh, we could live in a tent and be happy because we'd all be there. I mean, when we lived at Hershey, people, like, sometimes looked in horror at us. I had eight children. Mary and I, eight children, right? We yep. lived in a three-bedroom townhouse. Wow. Uh, that, had wow. About, that had about 2,200 square feet. Wow. And we were so happy. I mean, we'd still be happy there now. But people would look at us like, are you crazy? I mean, how could you have, well, we got bunk beds, we got everybody lit. We all love each other. Like, we're all together. This is a good thing, right? It's not good, actually, for man to be alone, right? It is not a good thing for us to all be wandering around in our isolated rooms, and especially today with all the technology. Um, You know, I could share a story to you about real presence, too, that, well, we'll see where you go. But but, so I, I put a twist on it. I would just say to you, Every room is our family room. And so we've had, you know, great, great times and great memories. I mean, even as recently as last night, we'll finish dinner. And, and you go through, by the way, ages and stages and families, right? Because yep. you have 10 children. So at one point, literally all 10 pretty much are in the house at the same time. Uh, and then eventually, you know, they get older, they move on. Some get married, some are in college and so forth. So you have less and less at home. So now, you know, there's, there's four that are home right now. So after dinner, um, we play, we just... Even though everybody still has work and other, we, we play cards. Like we'll just play, you know, rummy, or we'll play hearts, or we'll play, we'll play something. It's not that the game itself is that important. It's just that we all just got together and mm. it was a way for us to all be together and talk. And we're all talking and joking and while we're playing the cards. But the family room is mobile. The family room is wherever the heart is and wherever you are and wherever your family is. That is beautiful. Oh, I think we need we to have to change it. our to the room for the family. Yes, it's, there you we go. We have to change our title now. <laughs> So before the break, you were telling us about especially um, the importance of the soul, receiving people and being Jesus to people. And it sounds like there at Belmont Abbey, that's exactly what you guys do when you're talking about how do you just nurture people in their soul, nurture these young students in their faith. So we would love our listeners, especially some of those listeners who are looking at sending their kids to college soon, we'd love to hear more about Belmont Abbey. Well, I mean, just the founding of it itself is one of divine providence. I mean, just how does this Catholic college end up being in the middle of the Bible Belt? I mean, I, I don't know if people even realize it today. We are the only Catholic college between Virginia and Florida. Wow. There is no other Catholic. When I got to North Carolina, I said, well, can you give me a list of all the Catholic high schools? And they kind of looked at me like I was crazy. And, and I, I said, what? And they said, well, there's only two. You know, so mm-hmm. I mean, I don't need a list, I guess. I can remember those. So when they arrived here, I won't go through the whole story because it, it might be a little bit too long, but this was divine providence to come to this land, uh, how they got this land, 700 acres in an auction for back taxes for $10. I mean, it, mm. it was unbelievable. Uh, the whole idea was to give it away to a religious order who would come here and have a community and have a school. Couldn't give it away. They, they tried to give it to the Redemptorist Jesuits. They said, why would we go there? In North Carolina, by the way, in the beginning, when they first got here, it was estimated maybe 700 Catholics in the whole state of North Carolina, and most of them were in Wilmington. Wow. So there's only a few scattered you know, Catholic, Irish Catholic families here working the mint. There was a gold mine here in Charlotte. And so this father, Jeremiah O'Connell, rode circuit for these few scattered Catholics. He gets this land. And again, God has a good sense of humor because the invitation eventually goes to Cardinal Gibbons, who's up in Baltimore, who then offers it to these monks, these, these German-speaking monks who came from Bavaria that are up in Pennsylvania, <laughs> who only came here to serve the German, German people. Uh, there are no German people in North Carolina. There were, no, there were no German-speaking people down here. But for some reason, they accepted it sight unseen. They send down one monk. 
As he goes through Richmond, I don't know how this happens, he picks up two students. They arrive here April 21st, 1876, and they start class the day they arrive. That is the beginning of Belmont Abbey. There's nothing here but two shacks with holes in the roof. If you come to the school today, you're going to see these beautiful brick Gothic buildings. The bricks in these buildings, the monks dug up the red clay, they formed them into bricks, they dried them in the sun, and they put these they designed the buildings, and they put these bricks here over 145 years ago. It is unbelievable. It's a, it's, a, it's a God thing. I mean, it's, it's just amazing that it could happen. So it's this 1,500-year tradition. We're not, we're not, the United States of America isn't even 250 years old. We're talking about a 1,500-year tradition of the rule of St. Benedict, which built and preserved Western civilization as we know it. Mm. I mean, at one point in the Middle Ages, there's 38,000 monasteries alone with towns that grew up around all of them. I mean, the influence of the Benedictines in, in business, medicine, metallurgy, astronomy, agriculture, I could go on and on, is profound. Uh, their pre- preservation of scripture and libraries is it's why we have what we have today to a great degree. Uh, so we bring that here. And so the students that come here, by the way, whether they're Catholic or not, because we're, we're a unique Catholic college. You know, most of the schools in the Newman Guide, I, for the most part, are 100% Catholic. We're maybe a little more than 50% Catholic students. Oh, wow. Um, we invite everybody. We open up our arms and we say, come on in. We love you. Wherever you are, whatever your background, whatever your faith, our Catholicity is a guarantee to you of why you're going to be treated so well. Mm. I leave conversions to God, right? We're called <laughs> to love people. To, to show God, you know, hopefully in our actions and how we love people. And because everybody's made for love and truth, you're attracted to it. So you can even ask, well, why do so many people who are not Catholic come to Belmont Abbey College when you seem to be such a Catholic school? It's, it's because of the love. It's because of the friendships that are formed here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have never seen friendships like the ones formed here. Yeah. I, I know everybody makes friendships. Never seen them like the ones here. Um, Aristotle talks about friendships and he says there's three kinds. The first two he describes, I won't go into them, are sort of accidental. But he talks about this third kind of friendship, which he says is the kind of friendship where you only want the good for the, for, for the friend's sake alone. Our students leave here with 20, 25 of those kind of friends. If you had just one of those friends, you, wow. you consider yourself incredibly blessed forever. And our students leave with 20, 25 of them, and a lot of them get married. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing how many of our students get married uh, when they leave. It's, it, it's remarkable. The faith is deep here. I mean, we have a Hintermeyer Catholic Leadership Program. We have Focus, you know, Fellowship of Catholic University mm-hmm. students. We have Thomas More Scholars. You know, campus ministry is just outstanding. Everything we do is infused with why we do what we do. Um, and, and so it's just, it's, an, it's natural. It's not this artificial thing. It's not a, you know, here, read this, and then, then you'll know. It's more like, be with us and you'll know. Mm. That's amazing. You know, Barb and I were talking about, there's so much talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, using that conversation you said earlier about change and all the phraseology. I said, as Catholics, we have a slam dunk on that. If you want to discuss those three issues, drop the catechism of the Catholic Church on the table and say, if it's not here, we're not gonna do it, and we've got all the bases covered. Yeah, and, and you, know, you just described actually you know, the antithesis, which is this, this bifurcation, this splitting of everybody into some descriptor yes. about either their their gender, their race, their creed, their color. I mean, it's almost like so purposeful to to make people almost, you know, against each other mm-hmm. based on really shallow things. Again, we are made with a soul that is made for that. That's by the way, having a child is such a miracle that God would allow Mary and I 
to come together in that marital embrace in such a way that with God, we would be permitted to participate in creating this soul for eternity. Mm. I mean, wow. It's like, it's, it's like you know, uh, the, the first line in, in, the, in John's gospel, right? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and then blows your mind, and the word was God. It's like, wow, how do I even take that in with my finite mind? How do I com- contemplate the infinite? This is who we are. That we're called to be together in community, and that community is saying, look, we're all different. We all have our strengths, our weaknesses, our frailties, our faults, whatever it might be. I'm not judging you by those little things. I mean, I got those things. I'm looking at your soul. I'm, I'm seeing Jesus Christ in you, and I'm then gonna try to love you to the best of my ability. Yeah, that's incredible. I'm blown away right now. And listeners, you're tuned in to the family room on AM 1160, The Quest. And I had another question, but I'm in the middle of filling out my application <laughs> to Belmont Abbey. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if you take old people, but I'm going to sign up and start taking some classes. I was thinking the this, same thing, yeah, Greg. Well, let me let me just tell you. See, we we're not separating this by old and young either, right? Oh, I mean, beautiful. So you're a soul fraternity. We're happy for you to be here. And you're well, tall, so. Well, so what about short and tall? Because tall between works. you and I. We can start an old man's basketball team again. We can, we can watch one. Yeah, I'm so torn up right now. That's about all I could do. But, you know, here's what I love, too, though. Uh, you, you've got the deep, deep, deep spirituality, but you also have the athleticism that came from your background. And you wrote a book that was less than a minute to go. Pull from your background of professional sports, athletics, sports psychology. I've heard you talk about sports are not the evil one like a lot of people are trying to make them out to be for multiple reasons you also in your book you talk about sports relating to virtues how done right you bring out the good virtues done the other way you know you lose the virtues so anybody who hasn't seen the book go out and get it it's a, it's an incredible book why the stopwatch and an urgency uh from time running out number one but number two and this comes from john gordon's household can you tell us about Thank you, Jesus, and the wide receiver. Was it the wide yeah. receiver? <laughs> well, for, first I'll start off with the watch. So, um, you know, I, I never knew this when I was competing. Uh, I, I wish I did. Uh, and I try, by the way, to share that with all the athletes I, I, I know today that I work with here at the college or, or that I've worked with in the past, the pro athletes. Um, peak performance is basically when you're going out in, in this present moment, you're going to walk into a basketball court or onto a field, whatever it might be, is to get 100% of all your skills, talents, and abilities to come out in this moment. That's as good as it gets. That doesn't mean you can't get better in the future. It just means that's as good as you can hope for. It's everything. It's all that you have. You just got to come out, right? So this is, this is it, right? What I never put together with this, this thing about peak performance was this. All of time is present to God. God has no past and he has no future. So to the degree I remain in the present moment is the degree I remain in union with God. Mm -hmm. So if I ruminate about the past or I get anxious about the future, I've left him because he's not there. Mm -hmm. He's in this present moment. So there is a great comfort to know that when you are performing, whether you're an athlete or you're a carpenter or whatever you're doing in your life, you're a mom and dad, you're working wherever you are, if you are putting 100% all your skills, talents, and abilities on the task at hand, in the present moment, you are in union with God. Mm-hmm. It's not a distraction. It's not like we gotta go over there and now say a prayer. God is with you in the present moment. There is no better place to be. As a matter of fact, I describe it as the eternal present moment. Mm-hmm. The eternal present moment. It sounds contradictory. 
but all of time is present to God, so that present moment is forever. And we are sense. called to remain in that present moment. Doesn't mean, by the way, somebody says, well, well, you mean I can't plan? No, you can plan, that's the present moment. In this present moment, you may be called to plan, but once you've done your planning, that present moment's over, you're now in the next present moment. And in that present moment, again, based on your duties and desires, responsibilities, you're called then to use all your skills, talents, and abilities the best you can in whatever you're doing in that present moment. Um, so back to the wide receiver story, because it kind of ties into it. Uh, I, was working, I worked with a lot of NFL players, and I was working with this one wide receiver. We were at an indoor facility by ourselves. And, you know, I'm 6'8", I have a, you know, a, a wingspan, and I used to be able to throw at a pretty high velocity, so I could, I could imitate at least at a short distance, not the accuracy, not the readings and all those kind of things, but I, I could throw a ball at, at a pretty high velocity. So he's running routes, and I'm throwing to him, and about the ninth or 10th ball, he drops the ball. And when he drops the ball, he lets out this really bad word, okay? I'm not going to tell you what it was. Trust me, it was a bad word. Uh, you might have heard it before, unfortunately. Uh, so I looked at him, and uh, I said, what did you say? And he looks back at me uh, a little sheepishly, and he says, well, you know, I, I, I dropped the ball. I said, I know you dropped the ball. I said, but what did you say? And he looks at me again. He says, yeah, but you know, I dropped the ball. And I said, thank you, Jesus, right? He goes, what? And I said, aren't you thankful in all things? He was a Christian athlete. I, I said, First Thessalonians 5.18, be thankful in all things. Aren't, aren't you thankful? It didn't say be thankful, you know, just in good things. It's, it's thankful in all things. Bang your head, thank you, Jesus. Win the lottery, thank you, Jesus. It's all thank you, Jesus, right? So he looks at me and he goes, thank you, Jesus? I said, good, come back. So he comes back and you may be saying to me now, well, why did you do that? Uh, what does that have to do with him being a better wide receiver? I'm going to tell you. There's two reasons for saying thank you, Jesus, at that moment. First one is the higher argument is the right thing to do. It's the virtue of gratitude. It is, it, is what we're, it is what God's do, right? So we should be thankful in all things. The second one, though, is purely pragmatic. It's, it's purely sports performance. If that person is out there cursing and kicking the ground and stomping around because he dropped the ball, what doesn't he know? Why he dropped the ball? Because pride, and we don't think of anger kind of stuff as being pride. That is pride. When you're out there cursing and kicking the ground and showing this displeasure and dropping the ball, what you're basically saying to me is, I am so much better than this. I don't drop balls. Uh, this is terrible that this has happened, right? And so by saying thank you, Jesus, one, you're giving thanks to God and it's the right thing to do. The second thing is you get rid of all the garbage. Mm. Kicking the ground and cursing has nothing to do with catching the ball, which means now you don't know why you dropped the ball. Right. So I said to him, so tell me what happened. As a coach, you always ask that. You don't tell people what they did. You ask them first. I said, what, did, what happened? And, it, and everybody who has ever worked with anybody gets the same response. It's a statement with a question mark at the end of it. I didn't get my hands up. It means I have no idea. I'm giving you some answer because I blacked out. I have no idea what's going on. So now I'm just going to say something. So I said to him, well, actually, you didn't get your head around. Now, I can't demonstrate it on the radio, but there's a way to snap your head around. Either you can swing your head around, uh, kind of, it just kind of sweeps around. And when you do that, everything blurs until your head stops. Mm -hmm. When you snap your head, it instantaneously stops your head on the target. And so, for example, if you snap your head versus then sweeping your head around after your plant and your cut, you see a ball 10 yards sooner. And if you see the ball sooner, you can actually now catch it. Um, because, by the way, an NFL receiver who drops the ball doesn't drop a ball because he can't catch. He dropped the ball for a very specific reason. 
But if you don't know what it is, you're going to make that same mistake again, and you're going to drop more balls, and then probably compound your problems with thoughts and everything else to go against it. So I, I, I showed him this. I demonstrated it to him. He got it. He goes out. He's running some more routes. Again, maybe about the 10th ball or so, he drops another ball, and I can see it. He's about to say that word again, but he stops himself, and he looks back at me, and I kind of I raise my shoulders and tilt my head, and I go, yeah? And he goes, Thank you, Jesus. I said, good, come on back. Tell me what happened. <laughs> so he comes back, and this time he says, without delay, he says, it's exactly what you said. When I hit my impulse point, I swept my head around. I didn't get my head around soon enough. I didn't see the ball. I said, perfect. I didn't say, yeah, you got to fix that. You got to get back. I said, perfect. You know why? Because he knew what he did. Mm-hmm. And if you know what you're doing, you can change. If you don't, if you, if you lack awareness, mental, physical, spiritual, if you lack awareness, you can change nothing in your life. So I said, perfect. By the way, at the end of the day, this guy is hardly dropping a ball. I could be throwing him balls, you know, 50, 50, 40, 50 yards. He is making circus catches. I mean, he is making catches that could be on ESPN. And if he even does drop a ball, and by the way, he was hardly dropping any balls after that. But if he dropped a ball, all I can hear, he could be 30 yards away from me, and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) And he meant it. So now you could say, so what's that all about? Well, that day, in that session, he became a better man, physically, mentally, and spiritually. We didn't have to break out and have prayer sessions afterwards. Nothing wrong with that, but we didn't have to have a separate prayer session. In that session, he was a whole person, body, mind, and soul. We dealt with the whole person, body, mind, and soul, and he got better in every single way. That's, That's great. That's awesome. an awesome, awesome. story. That's and, awesome. And I think it's it takes us precisely where we want to go and precisely why we were so excited about having you on here, Dr. Bill, because we really love practical things, things that our listeners can walk away with. So so let's go from practical things in sports. And there's, by the way, there's probably coaches and guys out there taking notes right now. Hmm. Snap it around. <laughs> that, but, uh, they're not. We need to make sure they yeah. are. So, Well, I think it's snapping my neck and I imagine paralysis. <laughs> um, I just actually realized why NFL receivers need to be taking ballet because that's what you, I'm a, I was a dancer and that's what you learn as a dancer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Very good. The same, it's the same concept. You know, God doesn't, when we doubt that God made these bodies, it's just, uh, there's a a phenomenon, an ocular reflex that happens, by the way. So when you snap your head, your eyes actually snap in the opposite direction Mm. at the same speed. So if you think about it, if your head's snapping that fast, your eyes would just kind of keep going. But your brain has an ocular reflex that actually brings your eyes back in line. I mean, it's just a miracle of how our bodies <laughs> like work. But you're right. The dancing, where you'll see somebody doing pirouettes, yep. and they're snapping their head to a target so they don't get so dizzy they fall over. Yep. It's the same concept. Except, except they're continually doing it, they just got to do that once. Yeah. You were much better, Mari. You had to do it multiple times. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Yes, thank you, Jesus. So, <laughs> so very practical. Let's take a minute. And by the, can I just say one oh, more absolutely. thing? Absolutely. This is a practical thing. I challenge anybody listening to us right now, say thank you, Jesus, no matter what happens. Spill the coffee on your lap, thank you, Jesus. Pull out into Atlanta traffic. First thing you say is, Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you know, I, I'm looking at a lot of people thinking right now, I know what I want to say. No, no, you know you don't. You want to say thank you, yeah. Jesus. And I'm telling you, at first, It'll come a little bit, uh, you know, it, it'll take some work on your part. Don't be conscious about it, right? I guarantee you two things. If you do it, eventually it'll be, it'll be almost reflexive. No matter what happens, you'll say, thank you, Jesus. And number two, you will be completely at peace. 
Yes. Nothing will bother you. Well, and the other thing about that, I always talk about this, is the name of Jesus. And we know from Scripture, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bend, every head shall bow. And, and Satan can't stand in the place. He can't be here if we're calling on Jesus. So you're at peace because you've got Jesus with you. But you're also at peace because Satan and all his little minions have to flee every time you call on the name of Jesus. So, And, and you know, I, I refer to sometimes, you know, one of the greatest peak performers of all time being St. Peter walking on the water. Mm. And people say, whoa, 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 that was a miracle. You know, that, that's not a peak performance. Uh, but wait, let, let's examine it for a second. Okay, so Christ is walking across the water. Uh, he eventually, you know, Peter says, Christ, if it's you, you know, to tell me to come to you. He says, come. Now, at that moment, Peter's free will is fully intact. He can stay in the boat. He doesn't have to get out of the boat. But he loved Christ so much and was so focused on Christ that he literally stepped out of the boat and began walking on the water. Mm. It's, it's amazing, right? But we all know what happened. He starts walking, and suddenly he starts paying attention to the wind and the waves and the tempest. He starts to sink, and he cries out, you know, save me, right? And, and Christ saves him. Here's the point. If he had stayed focused on Christ, he would have gotten over to him and given him a big hug. Yeah. There's something to be learned about peak performance, and it's attention to detail. It's staying focused on what you're doing. So it, it's a lesson for all of us that, to your point, Mari, staying focused on Christ that is where those peak performances in our life happen. Yeah, definitely. So, Dr. Bill, we've got about two minutes left. Can you give okay. us just some quick advice? We, we talked about just busy families and just being overwhelmed. Can you get us down the road on some advice for busy families? Here, here's, a, here's just a quick, simple one. So, you know, if you're in the morning and you're, the, you're let's say you're the one that has to leave the house and you're, and you're flying, you've got like a thousand things on your schedule and you're, you're just so busy and you're racing around, you're getting dressed and you're trying to grab your stuff and normally everybody would just go, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go. You know, everybody's like racing out the door, right? What I learned is this, you come down, you only have 10 minutes, by the way, 10 minutes, you got 10 minutes, no matter how you cut it. I would come downstairs, I would look like I had all the time in the world, I'd ask how everybody's doing, I'd walk over, give everybody a hug and kiss, uh, say, what are you doing today? Uh, say, well, okay, I, gotta, I guess I gotta be going. I'll see you guys a little bit later, you know, love you all. Um, and I'd leave, and I found it took the same 10 minutes to leave the house. <laughs> One created anxiety and worry for everybody involved. Uh, I left everybody in, in, you know, my anxiousness was there, everybody's leaving, oh my God, you know, er when I left the way I did, everybody's there. They're waving goodbye. Everybody, I, lo I love you signs going up, you know, <laughs> as they want goodbye to me as I drive off, you know. And it's the same 10 minutes. But one, you leave at peace. One, you leave. Everybody's been loved. Everybody feels loved. By the way, I usually left when I was when they were little. I'd, I'd leave with syrup kisses on my pants and my shoes. Uh, you know, I, I'd, have, I'd have flour on the back of my jacket, uh, you know, whatever, but uh, wouldn't trade it for the world. That's awesome. That's awesome. Awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, Dr. Bill, would you just take a minute and close us in prayer, please? Absolutely. Uh, well, you know, dear Lord, we, we thank you for this day, and we ask you to help us to be truly grateful. Uh, that begins with us being truly humble, to recognize that we are nothing, we know nothing, we have nothing in relation to you. All that we have, you've given us, and you've asked us to be good stewards of that. So please guide us and help us to know your will and to do your will and to accept your will in all things and to be truly grateful with everything that comes our way, to be thanking Jesus in all things, and we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Amen.
Thank you so much, Dr. Bill. And on behalf of all of us on The Family Room, we really appreciate you being with us. Listeners, please join us again here next week where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families. Thanks for hanging out with us in The Family Room. Sponsored by Versprite. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com.